0: So then really what we're saying here is it's not really about who gets elected. The bigger issue is what the Supreme Court does with the ACA. This is High
1: Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin. A few weeks ago, we got a group together to spitball about the election. With less than a week to go, we figured we'd do it again, putting ourselves on record, talking about what might happen when anything could happen we'll know soon enough. Or maybe we won't. I was joined in this conversation in order of appearance by Tim Stewart, VP in our National and Academic Health System practice, Justin Gibbs, VP in our regional practice, and Isaac Squires, partner in our regional practice. We'll continue to talk about the consequences of the election, especially since we should have at least some clarity soon. So be sure to subscribe to the High Stakes Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This is like what this is about two or three weeks since the last conversation we had, the la- uh, probably almost a month now because of the debate schedule, we weren't sure how much oxygen healthcare was going to take up. The first debate got a little bit of a little bit of it. And then it's just been like pretty much radio silence. So does the fact that there really hasn't been anything new on healthcare
2: mean anything? I, I mean, there's one issue in this campaign. It's Trump. That's the the only issue. It's the only thing anyone, I mean, I guess, unless you're really into Hunter Biden, but that's the one issue. That's the one issue anyone's voting on. It's the one issue anyone's talking about. It's exactly what he wants, that this is all about him, but there's no room for anything else. I think, I mean, if we wanted to like get into policy, I think Obama's line last week is correct. You know, the, the line about the Republicans being two weeks away from a healthcare plan for 10 years. I think that that's pretty accurate. I, I don't know that healthcare has been a priority for the institutional GOP Is as an issue. I, we talked about it last time. I don't think it's a winning issue for them. And so they haven't made it a priority. I think that's an understandable allocation of power and resources. But in that absence when when that's been the governing party and there, there hasn't been a ton of movement on that front i think there's a lot of waiting for what the supreme court might do but i, I haven't heard a lot of great policy discussions around health care i think the only thing that even comes to mind as a as a, a topic in the presidential campaign is biden pursuing the public option and and so that 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 is the one thing that i think everyone knows about the healthcare discussion in the in the presidential race but beyond that it has not been a focus because there's only one focus
3: and the only thing that i would add to that is you know there not only is the healthcare policy not been something that's been a focus i mean policy in general has not been a focus um, of any kind on any topic It it is as tim said a referendum on um, Trump in a way that, you know, we haven't seen a referendum on a sitting president because it is truly just based on personality, not on policy. Right. So,
0: I mean, it's hard to focus Trump on is- policy when you're in the middle of a crisis. I think policy loses its luster in terms of being able to articulate something and have people focus on something when there is such a huge issue in terms of the virus staring you at the face day in and day out. So I think that's part of it is there's not a lot of option, at, at, as Justin, Justin says, for policy discussion because we're in in kind of a crisis mode in the country. And not just on the virus, but on you know seemingly other things, too, potentially depending on what your particular voting issue is. So let's talk about that. Let's get
1: into the the. The at least the pandemic part of the crisis, Isaac, it feels to me that all of the noise around the election, and then just the fact that we've been dealing with a pandemic for, you know, nine months now or whatever, uh, it's just sort of built in, even as cases are now above their high back in whatever it was, July or August, which was well above their March and April. I mean, You know, the, the peak keeps going up, but this time around, it just doesn't feel quite as Crazy, and I think it's because we're just becoming a nerd to it at at some point. So, but at the same time, a lot of folks that we know, and just look at the media, and I mean, the hospital folks are ringing any bell they can find about capacity issues and all the rest. So, what, like, what's the deal? How do what's what's happening as we
0: go into the winter? I think it depends on where you are uh, geographically in the country. I think people in you know Wisconsin, for instance, are you know not necessarily inured as you put it to it. I think they're living it day in and out. I think you know they're obviously in red zone. I think other states are you know in below that and so the focus is less. So I mean from a political perspective I think it's pretty interesting to look at the states that are in really bad shape right now and obviously more seem to be headed in that direction. But they're states that Trump needs to win keeping his column from from the last time around and the virus isn't helping his cause. It keeps the issue focused on the virus. And and frankly, I don't think he's doing himself any favors by saying we're rounding the corner when day in and day out, you've got, as you said, hospitals sounding alarm bells about any number of challenges related to the virus. Yeah, I think that that's right. I also
3: think it, it's been interesting in the last few days, you know, there's just more um, coverage on the election and how folks are thinking about the virus and, you know, the economic impact of it has been a topic that's certainly been front and center, But. You have in the swing states that Trump needs to win or Biden needs to win to get elected. You have on, on one hand people who are concerned about the health impacts of the virus, and then you have people who are concerned about the economic impacts of the virus. And the, the folks who are more concerned about the economy, at least based on some of the articles and things that I've read and seen over the last couple of days, tend to lean more towards the Trump camp, the people who are more concerned about the public health options. And consequences are more leaning in on the Biden camp, so it, it, is, it is such an all-encompassing issue that depending on um, the lens that your world sees it through is really influencing, at least based on reporting that I've seen, you know, political moods and attitudes.
0: Yeah, from a policy perspective, I mean, I don't think that, the, that, that anybody has done a good job, uh, maybe, or Bi- that Biden's done a good job of connecting the dots between getting the virus under control and what that means to, to getting the economy stronger. I mean, the, in those places where it's bad, you know, Trump's clearly saying we've rounded the corner, so let's get back to business. But Biden is not or has not sort of made the connection between getting the virus under control and getting the economy um, moving again, in In my opinion, in a, in a very compelling way. Yeah.
2: Isn't the economy largely open right now? I've heard this conversation recently and I'm confused a little bit in that I'm not like certainly restaurants, bars. There There are all sorts of places that aren't open that are not going to be open regardless of what path. I mean, the, there's a there's a runway there on uh, sort of inside dining and whatnot, but most of the economy has been reopened.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, but I'm not sure that that's the perception that people have out in, you know, in the country. The small business people may think that the economy is is not open because they haven't recovered to where they were before the pandemic. So I think it's a matter of perception, right? Our perception is, my perception—I won't speak for you all—is well, there's plenty of cars on the road. People are out doing stuff, and so yes, it's quote open, but it had—I don't think it's returned for smaller retailers, for the folks in the you know strip malls and that sort of thing. I mean, GDP is 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 huge, you know, coming out today, growth, but I don't think that that is necessarily being felt by most of the people in the country in some way. So. It is a well, and also but a huge I think it's growth
2: relative to the basement. I mean, it's still I yeah think the GDP is still down four percent since the beginning
0: of the year or something like that. I think the I think the problem is you've got France and Germany now enacting you know lockdowns in some form or Ireland another as well. So you know I think that there's the prospect out there of of going back to where we were in March, and and so that kind of fear may be driving some people's perception too. Yeah,
3: and I—I I mean, I think that we do need to be. As I heard you say this, but you know, it—it it is beyond perception because we're not back to where we were before the pandemic. I and mean, I think everybody wants to be there, whether you're a small business owner, or you're somebody who's working from home, or you're, you know, a healthcare uh, provider who, you know, wants patients to receive the care that they need, both preventative and otherwise. So it—it's beyond perception, there it it is reality that we are not where we were in January or February. And, you know, we're it's going to be a while before we get there. But you know, the concerns that folks have about that I think goes beyond just perception to a true reality of where we are at this point in the ballgame. And I think the I think think that you're right that there's a fear that we will go backwards, and you know if you're somebody whose bottom line's really been impacted by that, I mean we can all empathize why we wouldn't want that to happen.
2: For sure. I wonder, since this is what our election roundtable, I would say, I'm curious thoughts around the idea that if Trump won, which. I'm willing to go on record on this and look like an idiot. I think he's going to lose big. I think it's much likelier that Biden wins in a landslide than Trump wins at all. So I'm going to prepare to look really stupid six days from now. That said, if Trump were to win, do the politics of the pandemic change at all? Does, does it change as a sort of cultural issue if Trump wins and is no longer... I think I think he feels forced to take the it's not a big deal position because the other lane is taken. So if he wins, does that change how they approach the time between now and a vaccine or herd immunity or wherever we are in the middle of next year? Do they take more aggressive steps to contain the virus because it's no longer valuable as a political issue?
3: If Trump were to win, Tim. I like your question, but if we just look at his history, has he really ever wanted to change his mind and say, you know, that's actually not right. I wasn't right. This is a big deal. Let's lean in and get it fixed. Even if there, perhaps there are some policy uh, changes that could go, that could be proposed and go into effect that would work to accomplish some of those things. I don't think that if we look at the history of donald trump's life even beyond politics that he is going to change his mind about really anything so you know i i would not look for if donald trump were elected and i think you're right i don't i i don't think that he will be i i would not look for a radically different approach to dealing with the virus you know at the end of next week
0: but you could have some state governors I'm thinking about Florida, for instance, who have had some looser state policy, right, more in line with Trump's position, they could be freed up to take a little bit different position without necessarily catching so much flack from Trump, maybe. And that may be entirely too hopeful, admittedly, and sort of I'm admitting my bias there, but that's a possibility. I don't think it's likely. I mean, I think that the, the longer term implications, if Trump wins and you have, I think the pre existing condition thing becomes a huge political issue for him for, with all of yeah. the people who down the line, you know, may lose coverage because they had COVID. We don't yet n- know how that's going to shake out or, and all of that. But I think it becomes a long term political issue that he may not care about. Let's say that Trump gets reelected
3: and the Supreme Court strikes down the ACA and we, we talk about protections for preexisting conditions. I know that right now Donald Trump is the Republican Party. If he's reelected, the time of him being the Republican Party, the clock starts ticking right away and the Republican Party will exist after Donald Trump. And the Republican senators and members of Congress who want to be the future of that party are not going to let folks who have pre-existing conditions be excluded from having health insurance. They're not going to do it for a whole host of reasons. Uh, A big one is their own political future. And that's me being cynical there, but it is, I do not think that we live in a country anymore where it is palatable for people to be excluded from having health insurance because they've been sick before. Well, and
1: Justin, I think that too goes to an earlier part of the conversation where we're talking about how Obama's quote about how the Republicans have been, what you say, two weeks away from a health care plan for the last decade. Yeah. So why would we believe that they would all of a sudden be sort of capable of making such big, such sweeping changes all of a sudden, when that has not historically been the
2: case. Well, that would be or the burning the platform.
3: Republicans ever want to do anything, right? I well, mean, yeah. Republicans, by, by our nature, we are not looking for big, broad, sweeping, comprehensive changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is that too. I also think Obama undersold the, the fact that Republicans haven't had a healthcare plan in 10 years. Republicans haven't had a healthcare plan since FDR passed Medicare. You know, I mean, that's it's not a winning issue for Republicans.
2: Yeah, and I think to to that point, just thinking about sort of the approach. Some of this is I don't they haven't had to because they've had the Affordable Care Act as something they could just beat up on as a thing. They could call it, you know, just Obamacare. It's got Obama's name in it. We hate it. Don't you want to get rid of government intrusion to your health care? If it actually does get fully overturned by the Supreme court, then, and in this scenario where they're in power, they would be forced to act to Justin's point. The, the goalposts have moved on some of this stuff because of Obamacare, because of the last 10, 12 years, it's not politically tenable, especially given the demographics of the Republican party to remove pre-existing conditions or to, to allow pre-existing conditions to be a condition for health insurance. It's just not, it doesn't make any political sense.
0: Right. But the thing that then what happens if he wins is that they can't, the Republicans can solve in a one-off kind of way, right? A big problem and take a huge load of credit for it. And so I think that's where, you know, the advantage potentially lies is they, as Justin suggests, don't have a big comprehensive plan, but in a series of sort of one-off moves, solve things that people really do care about, like, you know, price transparency and some consumerism kind of things and pre-existing conditions, et cetera, but leave the things that really would, in my opinion, solve a longer-term issue. They just don't take on. Because it's not in their nature, and so they they leave it to one-off popular things, which are politically expedient. I think that everything that we've said on that is right. But let's let's think about what
3: happens if Biden wins. Because again, I think I think that there is a very likely scenario that not only Biden wins, but that Democrats take control of the Senate and that they probably expand their control of the House, in which. Right. Case, we have what we haven't had since Obama's first two years in office, which is Democrats controlling everything in Washington. If that happens, you know, those first two years are really key in passing big policy initiatives, which I think uh, we can all agree healthcare is going to be part of it, in addition to, you know, stimulus funding to get the economy going again, to take care of healthcare providers, all of that kind of a thing you know, Biden has come out in support of the public option. I have to expect that that's going to be, you know, a chief legislative goal for him in those first couple of years. I think it'll be interesting to see how far to the left he gets pulled by that, from that even, both from the running mate that he selected, from uh, Pelosi being the speaker, from Patty Murray from the state of Washington is going to be chairman of the, the Senate Health Committee, all of which are to the left of Biden on that issue. And it's his
2: party. Well, but but he's also, he's, out to the left of Biden on this issue. It's
3: true. But, you know, knowing that, knowing that the party is to the left of him and he's even moved to the left, it, it will be an interesting debate to see, you know, how far down or, how much progress, depending on your your point of view of the world, made with respect to healthcare expansion?
0: I think a lot of that depends on what the Supreme Court does, right. you know, gets rid of ACA. Then there's a lot of pressure, I think, on Biden sooner to, yeah. to fix that problem. If the Supreme Court, which I don't think is likely as of two days ago, leaves the ACA sort of somewhat, you know, in, in place, I think Biden has more leeway to let sweeping kind of big healthcare policy go a little bit and focus on the economy and stimulus and, and things like that, which I think would frankly be better for a country right now than to be trying to take on two big issues. So, you know, if Biden's going to be a one-term president, right, you're absolutely right, Justin. He's got two years to get stuff done. So what are those two things? What sets up yeah. Kamala the best for getting elected You know, four years from now? In my opinion, the political calculus, again, depending on what happens with the ACA, is getting the economy going again and, and recovering um, faster. I, I think if I were him, I would make economy and stimulus my number one issue and healthcare 1A, depending on what the Supreme Court does.
3: Yeah. No, I I would agree. I mean, that unites everybody, right? Yep.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. I don't have a ton to add, except to say that in that respect, the Affordable Care Act is something, the Affordable Care Act as it stands today, is something that both political parties should, on some core political level, be hoping is upheld, because Republicans don't want to govern in, in a world where they have to set up legislation to replace it. And, you know, whether or not it's the right thing to do the, to, to pursue these policies, if we're talking strictly about politics, Joe Biden does not want to be spending the political capital that Justin's talking about in the first two years, the public option. Obama exhausted all of his political capital on health care to get it passed. Bill Clinton expended almost all of his political capital on health care to see it fail. Joe Biden, as I've heard recently, has been around for 47 years, and he is familiar with these stories, and I don't think that he wants to repeat those political cautionary tales. So it, it is, I think, in his political best interests to have the Affordable Care Act upheld so that he can focus on economy, infrastructure, Things that are truly unifying and broadly popular. The sorts of things that Trump, if he cared about politics, would have pursued you know, three years ago.
0: So then really what we're saying here is it's not really about who gets elected. The bigger issue is what the Supreme Court does with the ACA in terms of kind of what's ahead from a yeah. political calculus perspective. I mean, that's a bigger a bigger moment with political implications for sure.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the court does not have a history of going radically against public opinion. It's just it's not in keeping with the tradition of the court. However, you know, the court now has more of a conservative supermajority than it's had in recent history. And, you know, I think for the debt to the detriment of the country, everything right now is more political than what it's ever been. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation by the Senate was the most partisan confirmation in the last hundred years. You know, by the nature of that, and by the nature of, you know, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, being politicized, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence that the Supreme Court will 100 percent follow in the precedent that it has had on not taking politically challenging type topics on and reversing
2: course. Yeah. And I think some of that is uh, if we're not pretending that the Supreme Court lives in a vacuum, if we acknowledge that these are people who live in the world and political actors, I think we have seen over the last few years that John Roberts in particular has Strain to preserve the credibility of the Supreme Court as a nonpartisan body in a way that I'm not sure he's going to be able to hold it together any further. So, like, if, if you're him thinking about the institution, I don't think that you really want to overturn the Affordable Care Act. It just, you know, it's not really where I think they want to be expending their energy, but he doesn't have uh, the control that he once did
0: over whether or not that happens. Yeah, he's, he's the chief justice. He's yeah, the chief justice yeah. in, in name only right now, you know.
1: So, right. so with all of this, we're coming up on our time here. I do want to ask the, you know, sort of the question, which is like, what, is there anything new that we need to say to the healthcare industry, to providers with all this in mind? Because it feels like, and we're saying that nobody should really want the political weight of making big changes and in the past we've said you know things do take time to change big sweeping change but it feels like as of right now while that may generally be true there's like the door is cracked on something happening particularly because of the court so does that change what we what we tell the healthcare industry to be thinking about to be doing to be preparing for to be
0: sane or do we just say sit tight and we'll see you on wednesday morning I mean, I think what we've got to do as an industry and especially hospitals and and health systems and providers is to keep the trust that we have right now, because we're going to need it in some form or fashion over the coming months. So do everything you can to keep the trust that you have. And then as this sort of shakes out, I think the industry has to figure out if and how it wants to use its position more broadly. I, I think that's a I think that's a challenge. But the first order of business is to keep the trust. Agreed. Well said.
2: <laughs> for our post-election roundtable, assuming that Biden wins, one topic that we want we should get to next time is the implications for M and A because that is a, that is an area yeah. where Biden has taken a pretty clear point of view on against consolidation and wanting a stronger hand from the FTC. So hopefully, let's talk about that next time.
1: Yeah, I think I'm gonna leave that in so that people know it's coming.
2: It's a teaser. Unless we scrap all of this because (laughs) Trump wins somehow.
0: So, Tim, you went on record and said, you know, you think Biden wins big. I am I'm less optimistic than you about that, admitting my my sort of who I who I voted for. But I I think it's going to be closer than you think. I think some of those states that Biden is thinking he's playing in a break for Trump, I think it's going to be pretty close. I think it's going to be pretty close. I hope that
3: for the future of our country, that we have a winner next Tuesday evening or very early Wednesday morning, regardless of what side that comes down on. I think that Biden ekes it out, and maybe more than ekes it out, but I I do not think that it's a landslide-type election scenario, and at some point, we're going to have to figure out how to poll people who don't want to be polled or who are not responding to polls in ways that they historically have